0: Well, it is Thanksgiving week coming up. Some of you are excited, some of you are not excited. I don't think, I think most people are probably not indifferent, but I, I just, I wanted us to take a moment and to, to thank God for all that He has done. And for some of you that's easy, it comes easily because there's a lot of things that, I, that you feel like are, are kind of lining up for you. And for others of you, you may have to kind of open that door of thanksgiving, and there's maybe some dust there because your life doesn't necessarily reflect a lot of things that you would normally give thanks for. Um, In Psalm 111, the psalmist reflects on God and, and who he is, and he says this, "'Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation.'" Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them their inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who praise practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now, as we as we hear those words, I would encourage you to To appropriate them, to to receive them as, as words of faith. Again, for some of you, these words don't necessarily resonate with your current circumstances, but we believe these things to be true. God's goodness and his graciousness does not change because our circumstances would try and suggest otherwise. And God is good all the time. And all the time, that's right. One other thing before we get into the word, this is my prayer of thanksgiving for you guys. In Ephesians and again, I, you know, I, I could come up with my own stuff, but the Bible's a little bit better. Um, in Ephesians, Paul reflects on the, on the Ephesian church and he, and he praises God, and he says, "Blessed be God." In other words, I'm thankful to God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Family, God has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he's chosen you to be in him before the foundations of the world, that we should all be holy and blameless before him. He's predestined us for adoption. He's chosen you for adoption, not because of anything you've done or your performance or what you bring to the table, but because he saw you and thought of you and chose you, because he loves you. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that grace which he has given us as we are connected to Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption. You have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. That redemption is the forgiveness of our sins according to how rich God is in his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and inside. He's not made a mistake. He's not made a misstep. He's not made a misunderstanding. He did it in perfect wisdom, making known to us the mystery of His will, that He wanted to save us through His gospel, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to bring all things together in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Christ. In Him, family, you have obtained an inheritance. You've been predestined according to God's purpose. God has a purpose for you, and he has predestined you in it. According to um, him who works all things how he wants, according to the counsel of His will. In him, you also, when you heard the gospel, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, were, and believed in him, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire it to the praise of his glory. God, we we have, guys, we have God with us. You have reason to be thankful this Thursday. You have reason to be thankful today. You have reason in your turmoil and pain and suffering and difficulty, in your discomfort and annoyance and frustration, to be thankful because God has been so good to you. And today I am thankful for you. If you're online, I'm thankful for you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the many blessings. I mean, this is just one little section out of one book of your word that that lists out some of the blessings and the benefits of the cross. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I pray, God, that as we consider what it looks like to to choose to serve you, that we would do so out of a heart of thankfulness. we saying we're grateful, and God, we are. And Lord, would you stir up our gratefulness would you bring to mind those things that we, we can call blessings, Lord? Allow us to counter many blessings and name them, as the song says. Be with us as we study your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new, I hope that you've been welcomed. I'm so glad that you're with us. We've been in a series going through the book of Joshua and really talking and thinking about what it looks like for God to take us from one place through transition Into another place. And the word, the the Bible tells us that the Old Testament and really all of Scripture is given to us uh, to be an example to us and to show us how we ought to live. It's given to us to inform us about how we ought to proceed. And so we've been looking at Joshua and the people of Israel as they have They've come out of the land of Egypt. They've been freed from the bondage to slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. God has graciously and, and, and miraculously saved them. Right? It's not every day that you walk across dry ground where a sea used to be a few minutes ago. He's taken them through the wilderness. He's provided them day, provided for them day after day after day. In in miraculous ways, he's been gracious and and kind to them, despite their their hard heartedness, their their stiff necked behavior. God has shown his faithfulness, and here we've seen in Joshua that he takes them from right outside the promised land and then into the promised land. God had promised Abraham that he would give them this land, this this land of Cana, and and that he his descendants would live there. And here Joshua is beginning to receive. And experience the promises that God had made, and so we looked at how God brought them to the place of transition. How God had a call for their life, but He had promises as well. We talked about how God uh, saved them through the the crossing of the Jordan, and how on the other side He invited them to remember and to give testimony to His faithfulness. And here we skip ahead to chapter twenty four. Joshua is, he's really beginning to prepare the people for life in the promised land. He's, he's allotted, you know, there's 12 tribes and he has allotted, according to the will of God, he's given each person their, their plot of land, right? You get Brambleton, you get Ashburn, you get Sterling, you get, you know, South Riding, you get, you get uh, Great Falls. He, he's given the land out to the people and he is making yet another covenant renewal, Last week we talked about a covenant renewal, this idea of God presenting his covenant, this agreement between the great king and, and his people. In this case, it's God Almighty and the people of Israel. And he's reminding them of these are the things that I want you to do and I will bless you if you obey and, and you'll have curses if you don't obey and, and I want you to be faithful in this. And today, Joshua, is, he's coming to the end of his own life and he's looking at the people of Israel and he's saying, okay, you're in the promised land. You you are here, there's still some work to be done, and I'm I'm calling you to remember that thing that I told you before, this covenant message between God Almighty and you, that, that there are things that He requires that you do and walk in, and you have an opportunity here to either choose to serve Him or not to serve Him. And the question is, what are we going to do in response to God's promises and His call to serve Him? So we're going to read out of Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15, if you will stand with me. We're going to read the word of God together, out loud. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that by your grace, by the the empowering of your Holy Spirit, that we would know your will and we would obey that we would choose this day, that we would commit this day, that we would have a a, a conscious decision to serve you. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would bring to mind those areas that we have held back from humble submission to your Lordship, from willing obedience. God, I pray that we would walk in greater and greater sincerity and faithfulness as we serve you. And God, I pray that this all would be predicated, that it would be based on and founded upon the truth that you are a good God who has done amazing things for us. We worship your name today, Jesus. We worship you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are at the end of of Joshua. I encourage you to go and read the rest of it. it It's an interesting story. there are some parts that are a little bit laborious where he begins to name okay, this you guys get this land from here to here. get a Bible atlas. I can let you borrow one and and check it out because it's it's helpful it's beneficial but but read this it's good good to read but here he is Joshua he's towards the end of his his leadership stint. In fact, he's going to die (laughs) on the latter portion of of Joshua chapter 24. And he's gathered the people together to to renew their covenant again at Shechem. And he says, uh, he he calls them to remember what God has done, and he calls them to, to serve God. It says here, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in faithfulness. Now, therefore is there for a reason, right? Therefore is there for a reason. And we need to find out what that therefore is referring to. And if you go back and read verses 1 through 13, you see that, that really God speaks through, through Joshua to give them a, a recounting of what God has done. It says in verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, uh, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Long ago you were in idolatry. You served other gods. You did not know who I was. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers and the chariots and the horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. They needed to be reminded yet again. I mean, imagine being these people. Your life is basically you walking in the wilderness and remembering that, hey, we walked across the Jordan. My parents walked across the Red Sea. We have come out, these are the stories that, that fathers would tell their children, that, that mothers would tell their children, that, that the grandparents would tell their grandchildren until they died. This, this was something that was woven into the people. He goes on, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued you. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of the land and I destroyed them before you. And he goes on, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, the, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you and, you, and you also, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. I have delivered you from enemy and enemy and enemy and enemy. Do you remember? And I sent the hornet before you. <laughs> I, I even sent the hornet which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or your bow, I gave you the land on which you have not labored and the cities that you have not built to dwell in in them. You eat the fruits of the vineyard and the olive orchards that you did not plant. How presumptuous are we to think that, that we bring about our salvation, that we have something to offer, that we, I did something. It's me and God. No, 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 God did it. Therefore, in light of all of these things, Israel, therefore, serve the Lord. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Right? It might be easy for the Israelites to say, God, who's that guy? Until they remember he's the guy who commands the Red Sea and tells it to part. Who's God? Who's God? He's the guy who tells the hornets to go and get the kings and bring them out. Right? If you meet someone and they can command hornets, whatever else they might be able to do, that's a problem. Right, That's not someone you want to get on the bad side of. Who is God? He's the God who defeated the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Don't fool yourself. This was not because Israel, they, were, they, they had M4s and they had superior uh, technology. Right, these were people who came out. They were slaves. Now they had learned warfare. These were not Spartans; they didn't grow up and you know here's here's a you know a pacifier and here's a sword. God had done this. God had chosen Egypt, uh, Abraham and the people of Israel. God had delivered them from Egypt. God had defeated their enemies. You see, the Israelites had a solid, concrete foundation upon which. God could command their attention. That therefore, it, it, it's intended to be the place upon which they stand. And, and they look, oh, my firm foundation, the, the thing that brings stability, the, the thing that brings uh, clarity, the thing that, that allows me to, to make progress forward is the salvation of God. Time and time and time and time again. And he says this, therefore fear God. Now, what, what does he mean when he says that? Right? Normally, we don't, we don't want to encourage people to fear their leadership. That's not, that tends to be an indication of, of toxic leadership. But is God a toxic leader? No. no. He's a good God. So what does he mean when he says fear God? I mean, if you've, if you've been in the church, you kind of have some idea this is awe, this is wonder, this is respect, this is honor. But if you read... Verse 14, it says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. And then he goes on and says, in the next sentence, put away the gods of your fathers that your your fathers served before the river, beyond the river, and in Egypt, and what? And serve him, right? Fear God and serve him, period. Next sentence, put away your idols, and what? And serve him. Joshua is saying, fear God means that you put away the idols, That you not try to hold up another thing and say, this is like God, right? To fear God is to recognize that God is greater than X, Y, and Z. God is greater than the gods of Egypt. God is greater than the present gods of the Amorites. Family, God is greater than whatever might uh, command your affections today. God is greater than whatever might command your fears today. The Israelites were surrounded by past and present gods. It says in, in verse 15, and, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord and choose this day whom you will serve, whether gods of your fathers served uh, in Egypt or the gods of the Amorites, right? They had had idols in their households in Egypt. They now have idols surrounding them. They're in a culture that, that worships all kinds of things, and he... And Joshua says, whether it's those idols or these idols, you need to choose. The principle is, is stated in the New Testament in case we think that, that this doesn't apply to our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about money of all things. And he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Now, he's talking about money, but, but the principle remains. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and the word there is money, but in, in the original it's mammon, it's the God of money. Money or possessions. What idols do you need to put away? What idols do you need to put away? Now maybe you don't have, you know, little carved idols that, that represent something, but, but don't kid yourselves, we are surrounded by idolatry. And here's how you know you're surrounded by idolatry. Because you're not surrounded by people worshiping God. See, the world would like to suggest, and especially in America, and I love America, but would like to suggest that you can be your own person. That you can be an atheist. That you can choose not to worship anything. But if we define worship not as, as necessarily going and singing a song to an inanimate, or not inanimate, but uh, an invisible in- entity that we, we consider to be real, which we do. I mean, God is real, he, though spirit. But if we, if we talk of worship as more than that, as, as what we commit our life, our energy, our focus, our resources to, we all have big gods and small gods. We all have things that, that when pressed... We pursue, right? If I could just have a little bit more, what? That might be your God. As I survey our culture, I think there are two giant gods. One is the God of money. And money is not evil, right? The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It says the the love of money, right? The devotion to money, the worship of money is evil, is the root of all evils. All kinds of evil. Anyways, money. Because we can be fooled into thinking that my ability to gain wealth, my ability to, to make money allows me to have the freedom to do what I want. And to some degree, it's true. But money does not save. I think the other idol is the idol of self and and sometimes that of money just is indicative of the, the the bigger idol idol of self you know i need to find out what my purpose is for my life and and do my thing i, I you know i need to make sure that i've got my my priorities in order e- even the language of of like work life balance like i need to make sure that you know i am i am caring for me you know make sure you put on your 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 own oxygen mask before you help other people and these things are good right that's a good thing to a degree but but for many of us and for the culture at large it has been elevated to this point where you are the ultimate measure of all things individually each of us is the measure of my truth my reality my morality well that may be true for you but for me that's not wrong you know, I, I, I understand that's how you want to do things, but, but for me, it's, it's a little different. And we try to basically say that I am the ultimate expression of truth, therefore everything else is relative. Now, each of us has a unique perspective, right? I think that that's been a helpful thing that, that's been brought out in this se- season of life is like there are perspectives that, that you may not have that you need to listen to, right? I am not Pastor Germain. And we've had some really great conversations where his perspective has informed me. My experience of life in suburbia has been different at times than his. And I'm also not, you know, I've talked about this before, but I'm half Korean, half white, whatever my dad is. And my experience of life within that world is different than someone who just has grown up as a white person. And I am a guy, and that expression is different. And it's been a benefit for me to be married to a woman to help me understand, okay, this is... probably should think about this differently or, or at least take this into account. So perspective is great, but behind perspective, there is an ultimate reality, and that reality is God. The ultimate reality is not self. What idols do you need to put away? And how, how, do, you, how do you discern, okay, am I worshiping an idol? How do I, how do I discern, do I hold something more valuable than God? Well, when you come to make a decision, what is the ultimate arbiter? Especially when you come to make a decision that you don't necessarily like the possibilities. You know, I'm, I'm dating this person and, you know, I'd really like to, to move in with him. Well, what does Scripture say about fidelity? What does Scripture say about marriage? What does Scripture say about purity? You may not like it. A lot of our culture doesn't like the idea of, of married things staying within marriage between a man and a woman. But but that's that's what the standard is. And 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 you can tell what you worship by what you obey. When you when you look at your bank statement and you you consider okay how am I spending my money? You know the Bible says that we need to be generous, that we need to tithe. Right? That that didn't go away with the New Testament. It wasn't like yeah, don't worry about that. No, God ratchets it up and he says, be gracious. There's a whole book, Philippians, that talks about poor people who are gracious in their giving towards God's purposes. You know, are, are, we, are we generous with our money, the money that God has entrusted to us, or are we miserly with it? This is my money to do with what I want because I am the ultimate owner of this money. What idols do we need to put away? He says we need to fear God. We need to respect Him and not other idols. And when we realize that, it's pretty natural to see that we need to serve Him. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. You are going to serve someone or something. Again, don't fool yourself. No one goes to the grave As a self made man who didn't serve someone. Now, that person you may have served was your your selfish ambition and greed, but you were still subservient to it. We are made to serve and we are made to worship. We are made to express things about the things that we appreciate. He says, Who will you? He, He doesn't say, Will you serve? these these idols or not serve anything? Will you serve God or, or be your own? No, he, he gives two options, not one on hand. <laughs> two options, two options, not four. He says either serve idols or serve me. It's not serve or don't serve. It's what you will serve. And he says to serve God. Their, their gratitude toward God flows into what? service you know again we live in a culture where people love to come to church and i'm thankful for people to come to church and they think that their godly duty is to come to church and listen to music that they enjoy listen to a preacher that 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 pleases them however he or she speaks and and to to be sad like it's about me But when we understand that we're to fear God, then we recognize that that fear, that respect, that honor ought to automatically flow into service. For the the Israelites, God had done so much for them, and he had not done it just so that they could be buddies. It wasn't just so that he could say, well, wasn't that cool? And Yeah, that was cool. We'll see you later, God. We're going to go do our own thing. No, he had called them to be a people. There was a relationship there. That's what a covenant is. It's a relationship. It's more than a relationship, but it is a relationship. And God was expecting them to act and respond in a certain way to his behavior and his response. He says that they are to serve him with sincerity and with faithfulness. Or insincerity and unfaithfulness. What does sincerity look like? Well, that, that word, it, it, it has the connotation of integrity, of wholeheartedness, of, of single-mindedness, of, of not holding anything back, right? This is the kind of service that, that is all in, right? This is the kind of worship of God that says, you can have it all, God. There's, in, in the house of your life, there's not a, a room that's locked that God can't get into, God, you can get into my career, you can get into my relationship with my parents, you can get into my money, but when it comes to this, this relationship of, of, of this, this guy or this gal, that, that's my room. And that's not serving God with sincerity. That's not serving him with wholeheartedness. God, you can get into this room and that room and this room and that room, but that room of, of my offenses, that's my room. That's not for you to mess around in. No, that's not serving God with his sincerity. He calls the Israelites and he calls us to to serve wholeheartedly, to be all in. He says, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Faithfulness means, means to do it. And when you don't want to do it, to do it. When it feels good and when it doesn't. It means waking up. Whenever you wake up, six in the morning, seven in the morning, opening your Bible, where are we today? Today I was in Ephesians chapter two. And I read Ephesians chapter two. And I drank coffee. <laughs> and and I, was, I was thankful for it. I like Ephesians chapter two. But I mean, there are other moments where, you know, you read other things and you're not as excited, but, but it's faithfulness that he calls us to. You know, we're, we're entering the hallmark movie season. For some of us, that's all the time. For some of us, it, it's never. They're out there. But they have this kind of standard, like, city girl meets country guy. She goes in to visit family or fix some sort of business issue, and he brings her to the barn, and Oh, it smells like manure, and I've got heels on, and this is whatever. And, cause it's true, you guys are laughing, cause it's real. I could write these, anyone could write these, probably anyone does. Anyways, and there's this, but there's this formula, you know, she finds out that country life is, is sophisticated too, and they fall in love, the end. That's, that's what life is like, right? That's marriage. No! That is stupid. <laughs> stupid is a word that we don't use in our house, but that is stupid. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for romance. It's a good thing. I, I, when I first hung out with my wife, I, I literally was like, come come to the fountain at, the, at UNCG. And I'm going to, I don't know if I, did I tell you that I was going to bring the guitar? I brought a guitar. I played her songs. I tried to impress her. I embarrassed myself. Like, I'm, I'll do what it takes, guys. And if you're single, do what it takes within the, the boundaries of Scripture. Talk, talk to Curtis, learn some licks, do it. Um, I think he has some testimonies about that too, but um, he's married. So, but, but faithfulness is where love is nourished. Loving someone when it's easy, when you both smell great, and and neither one of you is telling the truth That's easy But loving someone when they when they wake up in the morning and I have I have the kind of dragon breath that I mean I could weld with it Right And and loving someone through that now that's love That's commitment right He says love and serve God in faithfulness. This is why God relates to us and uses the picture of marriage because marriage is such a vivid picture. Actually, marriage is the picture that that God created to show us his relationship. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't like he looked at marriage and thought, hey, that's a good idea. I'll use that example. No, he created marriage for the purposes of showing us how we ought to relate to him. And he calls us to faithfulness means every day. This is why, family, I call you. Read the Bible every day. And I've given you other reasons other days. But if God is your, the one who loves you, the one who's cared for you, the one who's devoted to you, then read his words to you every day. You know, it would be weird for me not to talk to my wife on a particular day. There, something would be wrong. right? I, my phone, I, I, went to, I went to go pick something up and my phone died and so she couldn't text me, or she she could, but I didn't get the text, and she basically, you know, rightfully assumed that I was dead. She was like, because I can't, if I can't get to him, something is wrong, right? Faithfulness is getting to him. Yeah. If you can't get to him, then something is wrong. Serve the Lord with sincerity and in faithfulness. Now, this was something that was, the Israelites were going through, and And if we were not careful, we might walk away from this and say, you know what, that's a nice story, but what does that have to do with me? Well, we have plenty of therefores. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he's really laying out a lot of things, but he, he lays out the gospel in chapter 15, and he says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel of which I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, right? They're therefore the thing in which they stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. Guys, Jesus died for our sins. Those sins that you committed today, those sins that you committed yesterday, last week, last year, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, died. God incarnate bled for you. He died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul is saying, you have reason to trust God. You have reason to serve Him. I think we've touched on it several times in this service, but in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were spiritually dead, flatlined, non-responsive toward God, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the, uh, the Satan, the accuser, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of dis- disobedience, those sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were all by nature, children of wrath. In other words, we all deserve the wrath of God, because we all are sinners and willingly slow oh, not slow, so apart from the grace of God. But God, in verse four, being rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy. He is not stingy. He's not withholding. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses. Do you forgive when people say, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm a jerk? Or do you forgive when they have not expressed their sorrow? God is a God who forgives when we have yet to express our sorrow. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. That is our therefore. In Romans chapter, I could keep going, but I'm just going to do one more. In Romans chapter 8, he says this, there is therefore because of the gospel, because of God's grace, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you are putting your faith in what He did on the cross, not in your own ability to do things differently, if you're worshiping and obeying and trusting Him, there's no condemnation coming to you. No one can bring con- condemnation to you. No one can, can say to you, You are such and such, because God has said you are free. I've forgiven you. You are righteous. There is no condemnation for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Christ we have been set free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God has done what the law was never intended to do. The do The law does not save us. It shows us our need. It shows us what pleases God, but it does not save By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then in verse eleven, if the spirit of him who dwells or sorry, if the spirit of, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the Holy Spirit does dwell in you if you believe in Jesus Christ, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit. Your therefore is that God has saved you graciously when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that that you were not responsive to God, and yet he said, I want to save you. Your therefore is that God has said, I have predestined you for adoption. Before I even created the world, I thought, I want to save this person. I want to bring about salvation for this person. I don't want to just make it available. I'm going to sweep them up. I'm going to save them. This isn't a partnership that God has done where he says, okay, you grab my hand, I'll grab yours, and, and, and I'll pull you out. No, you are dead in the water, and God says, I'm going to get you out of the water, and I'm going to give you life. I'm going to resuscitate you. You will live. Your therefore is that God intends to bring calling, and then salvation, and then sanctification, and one day glorification where we will somehow be like Jesus, right? It doesn't end with us just going to heaven and, and playing the harp and getting... Um, getting wings and turning into little babies with diapers. That's not heaven, right? If that's heaven, yes, that sounds boring and weird. And why? (laughs) No, heaven is where you will become the most authentic version of yourself that you could ever be. Right? Authenticity is like so big right now. Like, I need to be authentic, an authentic leader. You need to see me cry and hear my feelings and know who I am. And some of that stuff is great. But, but God wants to invite us into a kind of authenticity where we become what we were always purposed and intended to be. I don't know if you've ever tried to um, nail something in with a wrench. It's not easy. You'll probably hurt yourself. I did. I was, I was putting together some IKEA furniture, mistake number one, um, in my office, and it was a shelf and, you know, if you've ever done this, uh, they've since come up with some pretty neat things. But anyways, uh, there's the backing that goes behind the shelf to make it look like, you know, it's not from Ikea. It looks quality. It was fine. It was great. Uh, I did not have a hammer. And like, you know, a patient, thoughtful, wise person that I am, I said, well, there's a wrench. I'll use that. And it did not work well. And the back of that thing looked horrible. Horrible. Um, I was not using that thing for its intended purpose. And sometimes we, in our life, because of our disobedience, we feel like that wrench, like, hey, I'm pretty sure this is not what this is for, right? As we're being slammed into a nail. And God is saying, I know what you were made for. I crafted you. I don't want you to walk in it. And obedience here and now allows us to taste it and, and see what it can look like. But one day, we're going to walk in a kind of authenticity and, and we're going to be before our God and we're going to worship him and it's going to be good and we'll enjoy it and we'll, we'll be who we were always meant to be. That is one of our therefores. So family, in light of those things, how should we respond to this gracious, amazing, and awe-inspiring God? We should fear Him. We should put away our idols. There's nothing that compares to God. Right? Relationships, money, success. I mean, even if you do it all, right? If you just take it seriously that, that we will die one day and go and live somewhere else after this. Even if you get everything right now, And you enjoy it, it's still gonna be less than what God can offer you. Right? It's such a short period of time. Fear God, put away your idols, and serve Him sincerely and faithfully. Serve Him with your whole heart. Some of you, you've been invited to serve on a on a service team. You're like, I don't know. I got things to do, I don't have a lot of time. And my, my challenge to you is perhaps your control of your time and your unwillingness to serve is an expression that, and I'm saying this lovingly, and not self-servingly, I say this as a pastor, not as someone who needs to run things and make sure that we do things. But pastorally, maybe your sacrifice of time would be a great way to express your service to God. Maybe your sacrifice of energy would be a great way to be an expression of your service. Some of you, you, you need to tithe. And again, I don't say that as someone who, it, it, it sounds self-serving and I recognize that, but please hear me as just a guy who cares about you that maybe you need to show your heart that your money doesn't control you. And the way you do that is you give that stuff away. You're generous with the church and then with other people. And we have their Toys for Tots thing happening. We have Mobile Hope happening. There's, there's tons of places where you can serve and give. You can be, you can be listening out in the halls to, to hear people in need and, and make a little makeshift card and put $1,000 in it like I got. I mean, I'm not saying do that, but I'm just saying that's what happened to me because someone was willing to be faithful and to say, God is not my, or money is not my God. God is my God. Serve him sincerely and family. Serve him faithfully. I'm so thankful. We've, we've been doing this now where I've been leading for maybe three years or something like that. And I'm so thankful for every day of being with you. Because it's it's every day that we become a people. We don't, we don't just become a people because we do this amazing event, although I'm thankful for the amazing events that we've done. And we don't even become a people because of, you know, every Sunday we make sure. But every single day when, when we get to hear about what's going on in your life and you get to, to share it with us, and us as in like the church staff, not like us as in I'm crazy, <laughs> talking in plural. No, but, but faithfulness, day in, day out, building a relationship with God and building a relationship with God's people. This is why it's important, if you're online, I love you, if you can make it, you m- please try to make it, because this is, this is what being in church every week does, is it allows us to grow in our service to God through growing in our service to one another faithfully week in and week out. God has done so much. He's done so much for us. And God is a good God. He's a good God, despite not despite, but to put all the things aside, He's just a good God. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our respect. He's worthy of our honor. Jesus is worthy. And as we we prepare for Thanksgiving, I just want to encourage you to, to think about what God has done, to deal with the idols in your soul, and to think, what are some practical and realistic ways I can serve God this week? What are some practical ways that I can serve God as I move forward in this, in this life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, I thank you that, you that you love us. That you loved us before the foundations of the world. That you predestined us for adoption as sons. People who would receive an inheritance from our Father. God, I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit who teaches us, who trains us, who sanctifies us, who makes us holy, who shapes us like clay into the image of Christ. God, I thank you for the freedom from sin Lord, the freedom to say no to sin and yes to you. God, I thank you for your goodness to us, your your just blessings. Lord, I thank you for the air that I'm breathing. God, I thank you for my lungs. I thank you for my heart. I thank you for these these hands and these feet. God, I thank you for what you have blessed me with those things that I would otherwise take for granted. And God, I pray that we would not take for granted all the many blessings that you've given to us. And as we reflect upon them this, this week and throughout our lives, Lord, I pray that you would motivate us, that you would cause us, that you would press us toward honoring you and serving you faithfully and sincerely. Make us a people who are defined by that faithful, sincere service to God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Today is the day to trust him over your own ability to get to God, your own ability to make your life right, your own ability to figure out your life and its purposes. Today is the day to recognize that you're a sinner in need of salvation, that because of your disobedience, there is a just and righteous God who is not happy with it. And there's a punishment that is due to each of us. But there's salvation and freedom from that punishment in Jesus Christ. If that's you, you just raise your hand. There's nothing magical about raising your hand, but it's a response to what God is doing. If you're online, you can click the link that the hosts are putting in the chat. And just pray this with me. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, and I, I trust in you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, and I pray that you would give me wisdom to, to live out this new life well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Love you, family.